Welcome to the Top Gear Magazine podcast, a peek behind the curtain of what it's really like to drive other people's cars for a living. These are the stories behind the stories. Hello, I'm Jack Ricks, Top Gear Magazine's editor, joined as ever by Rowan Horncastle, TG's head of content. And this episode, we're talking about Ferraris at Fiorano, Bugattis at the Nürburgring, and our hydrogen future. But first, Rowan, what's on your mind? Good question. Lots of things on my mind as ever. Uh, great to be here again. But what I've been thinking about, oil companies, basically, and oils, do you ever think, do they consider flavour? Because there's some I look at them and I think, <laughs> surely that one's going to taste nicer than another one. Well, V-Power. Exactly, clearly, exactly. It's like a craft petrol, isn't it? No, really? exactly. But is there someone who's just, if, for someone like me who was thinking, oh, is that tasty? Mm-hmm. This we've got to we've got to consider flavour slightly because I would love to do a kind of Pepsi challenge of all of them, yeah. you know, a Mobile One versus a Castrol versus a Valvoline, and see where we're at with them. yeah a diesel that'd be like sort of a pint of Guinness or a Stout exactly yeah it's an interesting pure which yeah. brings us on to because we are talking about the issue R.I.P. Petrol which That's is right. a refined oil which <laughs> we're told we're not allowed to be using that much nowadays, so we celebrated it in the latest issue. Use it sparingly, yes, because electric's taking over everything, but, you know, petrol engines are still at the absolute top of their game, so that's what we were trying to celebrate here because we were driving, well, a couple of cars with very, very special petrol engines, and you got the short straw, didn't you? You know, you had to go to Italy, you had to drive the Ferrari 812 Competizione, and what was that like? Well, yeah, it was a it was a short straw. There was no one else around that uh, day. The work experience kid couldn't do it, unfortunately, so I had to do it. But honestly, that that was something that was a real honour because I think you know we're at the end of the life cycle of that engine. A naturally aspirated V twelve is a very romantic thing, and you know to go to Ferrari to drive at Fiorano in probably the maddest naturally aspirated V twelve that we're going to get. Um, yeah, was pretty pretty cool. Does it not feel like we've been talking about the death of the naturally aspirated V12 for quite a while? I mean, <laughs> we are the ones that have been talking about it for so long. You know, every time there's been another edition of the Lamborghini Aventador, we've been like, oh, it's the, you know, the death knell of this type of engine. Um, but, you know, as you describe in your article, this this really is kind of it because they've got... They've hybridized the SF90 V8 hybrid, uh, 296 GTB, that's a V6 hybrid. There's going to be a sort of LaFerrari successor coming down the line. That will inevitably be hybrid, maybe even full electric, if the rumors are to be believed. So this really is the kind of pinnacle of Ferrari burning petrol. That's the thing. When we got to the, you know, the Speciali and various other bits, you know, they were talking about the hybridization and, and uh, you know, and teching it up a bit, whereas now they're not going to go backwards. Like you say, we've driven the SF90, 296 is coming. So I'm pretty sure I can, yeah, let's the cross and say, yeah, this is the last go I'm probably going to have in it, especially at Fiorano. So. And just before we dive into uh, what, what it was like, <laughs> um, just a word on Ferrari launches in general, because as you say, what an honour to go to Fiorano, the home of Ferrari. There's Enzo's house himself there. You come through the gates. I've seen it. I remember as a boy reading car magazines and that classic shot of the car coming out the gates of Fiorano. And you were just like, oh, one day that might be me. It was you, Rowan. But actually, the reality is Ferrari launches tend to be quite fraught 
don't they? Yeah, uh, which is their own little special. If, if you're an alien and you came to Earth and you wanted, to, you know, a taste of what it, Italian culture is like, go on a Ferrari launch if you can, because they're hectic. There's a lot of pressure. They're very expensive. There's a lot of uh, provenance given to them all, and but they don't always run seamlessly, and time is limited. And more time in a minibus than actually driving the car. Usually. Yeah, or frustration, or like I was waiting for the weather because it was too grey uh, to drive the car uh, <laughs> initially. So when you're already papping yourself slightly at a you know nearly 900 horsepower naturally aspirated rear wheel drive car, which the predecessor was known to be hilariously spiky, uh, you don't you know you want to get in the car and kind of get it over and done with. So when they told you, you have to wait two hours for the track to get less grey. Uh, and the sky to get less grey. It was worrying. But then you, you know, we got into it. We got actually more time on track than we normally would because we had to warm the tyres up. But Was it track only? They didn't let you out on the road? No road, no, no road, even though they say that the car is being developed for the road. But, yeah. you know, don't believe it. but, you know, that hour and a half that we had, it gave time to, you know, the car came out during COVID, like peak COVID and the lockdown. So it was all digital launch and stuff. So, Getting to walk around it, and it is actually a very different shape and so much more aggressive than you think. It's got these, which I missed in the pictures, these huge buckets at the front, air catchers they call them, to feed the brakes and, and the engine, and then the back with that kind of tortoiseshell aero. Yeah, that's crazy. They're sort of, um, well, I was going to say the engine cover, the engine's at the other end, but it's uh, the, where the rear deck would normally be, and there's, you've got those kind of uh, little vents that are down at that looks amazing, and a little camera. Yeah, well, I hate the camera. Which yeah, no, no, work. no, it just looks like a wart on the back. I, I said <laughs> to the designer, you went through all this effort and then you've basically just got a ring camera and blue tacked it onto the back <laughs> of it. Um, and also, you know, when you're in an 812 comp, you're probably going to be quicker than most things, so you don't need to look in the rearview mirror. Anyway. Not that you could, because there isn't one. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah it, was, so you, it was amazing. So you got lucky, right? It, it wasn't actually wet when you went out in the car. Um, so yeah, tell us what your emotions were like uh, how are the fear levels when you're heading out there because look ferrari are the kings of electronic systems the way that they can harness that amount of power put it through the rear tires make the car feel super exciting but actually it kind of works with you it's on your side or not you tell me well uh, it's one of these things initially you get in the car and to do our job you're trying to assess what the car is doing you're scared about the lap you're trying also uh, the new rule at Fiorano is that you're following Raffaele Simoni in front the test driver who being Ferrari's test driver even isn't slow weirdly they don't hire well, him he, to be in... he, he also was in 812 okay so he uh, probably could have been in a Fiat 500 hire car and stayed ahead of you no yeah, offence yeah well <laughs> yeah probably <laughs> initially when the tyre temperature because we got told I'm not going to do an Italian accent but to weave quite heavily to try and get some heat in the tyres and we were only allowed to then drive quickly after you know two laps of, of proper tyre temp because you know following on from uh, from the previous front engine V12s they, st they struggled with understeer so they've put you know fat really fat front tyres as wide as the rear yeah. um, on, the, on, on the front of them so you need to get temperatures in, into that otherwise they'll just push so what are we doing are you weaving weaving around like a sort of F1 warm up lap trying to yeah <laughs> probably not looking as cool as that in any, in any way whatsoever just looking slightly lost in the gravel on the left in the gravel on the yeah, right yeah exactly touching yeah. touch each curb but then uh, no but then we really attacked it and then that's when you have to kind of really hold on tight and you're still you know you have to do you know plenty of laps at Fiorano before they'll even allow you in it just so you know the circuit yeah. but you know when you haven't been in a car like that for a while it is extremely quick and the whole thing I would just say the car is just rampant and yeah. then you know a V12 that revs to nine and a half 
you know, four-wheel steering, the agility with it. But yes, you don't go out and go straight to CTF or to all-off unless you're absolutely, you know, insane. So you work your way through it. But the electric systems, it isn't as spiky um, as previously, or what I was expecting, especially, you know, compared to a, a, a GTO or, or anything like that. But, uh, where, you know, where do you where do you start with it? Well, hold on, be brave, and be as fast as you can, because there are other, other people looking. But yeah. the engine, annoyingly, you have to wear a helmet with, ear defenders in it as well so it's not as free as you would expect but hearing everyone else go around holy moly that is, that is, <laughs> that is a sound that comes out the back of that thing nice use of moly there because i think you probably want to say something else mm. um but uh, and it's a really special thing because because this is a limited run ferrari it's the it's the the speciale of the of the 812 uh Basically, they don't put them on the press fleet. It's not like the other cars, which, yeah, you can get hold of at a later date, and we might be able to do a group test, we might be able to do a sort of more of an adventure-type feature. With this, you get one shot at it, and unless you find a very generous owner, that's probably it. Mm. So there's a good chance that um, I, other people on the staff, might not ever get a chance to drive this car. Well, with the, the the TDF, they did bring one to the UK, which we did. Drive, we took it to the Mac Loop and you know met Eurofighters with it. And I, all this I, I had a conversation with Ferrari UK yesterday and got a big fat no. Oh right, but um, hey, Jason, if you're listening, uh, bring one over. But fair play to the person who has to take that on a on a on a, on a yeah. damp wet road because it is uh, you know one hell of a car to try and maintain and keep hold of. And finally. Um, did you actually just crash horribly and you're just covering it up? Now is your time to come clean because, uh, you know, I think the world needs to know what truly happened. No, no, no. That did, there was there was no incidents whatsoever. I have had a, one massive spin uh, at Fiorano before. What was that in? Uh, I was in a 488 with Rafa in the passenger seat. as um, Not in front of the master. No, no, no. Embarrassing. No, no, he, he pushed me on and on and on. So we were at the left-hander mm. before the bridge, fourth gear corner. Uh, having played with the car quite extensively and seeing yeah. what, what was possible with the balance. And then what happens when you push it a bit too far? But yeah, there was no damage to that whatsoever. It was just a, quite a heroic pirouette. He actually uh, was was thankful for my uh, steering speed at trying to get it back. But yeah, it, when you hear it from the pit lane backwards, going backwards across the tarmac, it's not so fun. But not in the 812, I can thankfully say. And yeah, I slept easily that night. Well, the first time I ever went to Fiorano was the, for the for the F12 launch. It was in a previous life for a previous employer. Um, and I remember you had I had three laps. So didn't know which way that genuinely didn't know which way the first corner went. But because we had three laps, that was my only chance to shoot a video. So the Cameras are rigged up. The audio's rigged up. Um, are you okay, Jack? You know which way the track goes? Yeah, sure, be absolutely fine. So I'm trying to deliver my verdict on a car which I've driven for precisely 200 metres on a track that I don't know and managed to keep it out of the gravel that time. So, um, But yeah, just to sum up the 812, I would say is that, you know, we're going to look back at that car in 30 years' time when we're not allowed internal combustion engines anyway, and you're going to say this... This is special, you know, for a generation who aren't going to be used to the noise or the sensation. Yeah. It's it's an absolute beast. It's, it's an absolute, absolute beast. So, yeah, great honor to go and do that and um, fantastic fun to write the story. Lucky. Even though a rubber magazine did use the same first line <laughs> as me, but yeah, that's so fine. This, uh, get yourself a copy of the magazine. Rowan's beautiful intro to his beautifully written feature uh, is uh, Your Majesty, because apparently that's what how the Ferrari engineers referred to the engine the in the press yeah. conference but then another journalist uh, who writes for a magazine that's got three letters in the name the first one being E uh, 
also picked up on the same nugget, but, you know, you can't win them all, right? No, you can't, no. Yeah. Mm. All right. He saw me on the plane on the way back, right, the words, and just thought, oh, that's a good line. Yeah. So, that so plagiarism, to... that's what you're claiming. No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> all right, so um, I, th- I think it's time to meet the whole copter. Should we, ah. meet, should we meet the whole copter? Uh, you know, it brightens up my day, even just a, a little a little syringe of Paul Horrell that comes in and, and gives me a, yeah, a, a boost of, of, of energy and knowledge. It's just like an espresso shot for your brain, isn't it? So Paul Horrell, he is our contributing editor, uh, one of the most experienced car journalists in the world. He's got an enormous brain. He knows absolutely everything. And what we're going to do here um, on each pod is give him 60 seconds, strictly 60 seconds, to explain a very complicated idea uh, and we're going to make sure he comes into this completely blind so i assure you this is him riffing on something he's just heard about so should we get him on yeah and i just agree i don't think he has one brain i think he has three brains actually <laughs> if, if, if we're getting into it but yeah this is paul horrell hello paul are you there yeah i'm here how, you think? how are you no i'm not bad i'm not bad i hear you have a touch of the coronavirus Yes, although that doesn't make me in any way special, does it? <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> no, but it it means that you can do one of our fantastic 60-second pool horror quizzes. Exactly. So you know the rules. Uh, super simple. We're going to give you 60 seconds to talk, to explain a topic which is going to be completely blind to you. Um, and... Yeah, and the listener does know that I'm not looking on some kind of, you know, magic overhead caption uh, <laughs> matrix screen above the audience's head. I actually do not know the words that are just about to come out of your mouth. Exactly right. I have not been primed in any way. So are you ready? Yeah. Oh, by the way, I'm going to be timing this on my um, high-tech timing device here. Um, uh, <laughs> otherwise known as an iPhone. No cheating then. No, no cheating. So, Paul Horrell, you have 60 seconds to tell us and our audience how a hydrogen fuel cell works and why the hell aren't we using them? Go. Okay, thank you. Uh, Well, how they work is reasonably simple. Imagine um, a very, very highly stacked sandwich, I guess. So you've got white bread, slice of cheese, white bread, slice of cheese, white bread, slice of cheese, white bread, slice of cheese. I don't want to use up all my minute doing that. And into the alternate slices of white bread, you pump hydrogen and air. Okay, once the hydrogen gets into its slice of bread, um, the electron... Uh, the, the, the the little particle on the outside um, sometimes splits off and that allows the central bit, the proton, the single 30 seconds, small Paul, particle 30 seconds. to go through the cheese. Okay, there it meets some oxygen. Um, they then form a, a, a water molecule. Um, the electron then goes round a wire around the edge of the bread um, so that it meets up with the uh, with, with, with the water and um, that generates electricity, the movement of the, elect- of the electron. Now, Will this power our cars? It's very useful because um, we can generate hydrogen uh, by electrolysis at times. I'm when afraid we I'm going to have to stop you there. Oh, uh, I'm going to have to stop you there. Uh, uh, look, you managed to explain how a hydrogen fuel cell works through the medium of a cheese sandwich, which I think uh, I've certainly never seen that before. Have you, Ren? Oh, I did. I was confused. I thought it sounded like the best of both breads. You know, when you get white and uh, yeah. granary together or wholemeal. Yeah, no, but... I think you have to have the same type of bread and the same type of cheese. Yeah. That was fantastic. To be honest, uh, making oh, you describe long. the the pros and cons is just not fair. <laughs> Can I just tell the people how useful it is to be able to buffer electricity using hydrogen at times when we can't use it to power our battery cars? So we use our battery cars when we've got spare electricity, and uh, sorry, when we and then 
overnight when we're not driving, we can generate hydrogen to use that to power off your cell cars. Thank you. I'll stop. Now. Thank you very much, Paul. Um, that was a bonus 15 seconds we gave you there. You're a lucky man. Thank you for coming today. That was quite special. I'm off for a hydrogen sandwich. <laughs> Okay, that's Paul Horrell, ladies and gentlemen. So let's come back to the issue, have a little flick through, see what else we got to talk about. New Mercedes SL, yes or no? I was expecting something slightly more extravagant within the design department, to, to take it further from other AMG products, but... Uh... Looks good, just doesn't look surprising. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Great um, engine again, though. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else we've got? Uh, <laughs> we'll come back to that one. There's your Ferrari feature. Um, one last tank. This is quite cool. We asked a load of celebrities and industry figures um, what they'd do if they had one tank of petrol left to burn. So some really interesting answers there. Uh, this is um, uh, Wookiee uh, taking a Kia EV6 for a very large thousand-mile road trip, new Range Rover. Yes or no, new Range Rover? Very much yes. Very much yes. I think it looks like a proper luxury product. I'm not so sure it's going to be, you know, in the depths of bogs as, as Range Rovers of old, but, God, it looks good. Have you good. seen one in the flesh? I have seen one in the flesh. Mm. Yeah, I hate but... the phrase in the flesh. Please tell me off if I ever use that again. But it is a very good looking thing. It's subtle what what they've done to just smooth the surfaces and it looks, looks great. But what I want to talk about is... The Bugatti Chiron Super Sports. Look, call me self-centered, but this was my feature. Oh, yeah, I thought that's a that's a story that you've done, isn't it? What, yeah, a bit so like the Ferrari one we've just talked about. Yeah, but I didn't introduce that to myself. But anyway, no, I want to know about the the, the Chiron Super Sport as well. So, thank you so much. Um, so, yeah, this was basically the genesis of this idea was quite fun. Um, uh, spoke to Bugatti. Obviously, the new Super Sport is uh, this is kind of the long tail Chiron to give it a to give it a short name. Um, the streamliner version of the Chiron. They came to us said, "Look, you can come drive the car. What do you want to do with it? You've got one day with the car." So we took about five minutes and came back to them and said, "Right, here's the plan. We want to pick it up from the factory in Molsheim. We want to drive straight north." cut into Germany, blast up with some de-restricted autobahn, and then do some laps of the Nürburgring during a tourist session. Yeah, basically it was, you know, if anyone on the planet got given a Bugatti for the day, yeah. you had 24 hours and you picked it up from where they are, what would you do with it? Everyone would go, I want to go as fast as I, you can on it, and I want to do the Nürburgring just because I can. And, you know, someone is covering the insurance. It's the one and only chance we'll be able to do this. So you see, readers, us doing the things that we think you would just do anyway. But the most amazing thing was speaking to Bugatti and them going, yeah, sure, that seems far. I don't know what could possibly go wrong there, um, which shocked us, but we were on a plane immediately on our way to France. Um, and it was, yeah, it was an amazing day. I've never actually been to the uh, to the factory before, but it's brilliant. They've got the kind of uh, atelier building, which is where they build the Chirons, and that's like a sort of super modern kind of spaceship. But then you've got the old chateau, which was a Tory uh, Bugatti's house, and that's proper. It's like chocolate box architecture, isn't it? It's just incredibly beautiful. But what did you think of the Super Sport when you first saw it? Because <clears throat> initially, I, I wasn't sure if it'd be that different to a Chiron, mm. but my 
God, it's got presence, hasn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a bit like the McLaren Speedtail. I think initially the proportions you sort of throw you off a bit and you think, mm, I don't know, this isn't normal supercar proportions mid-engine. But then you start looking at this, it's just so much. The way that that tail just goes on and on and on is spectacular. And then it's kind of subtly more aggressive around the front end and the and the bumper and stuff. So, But we, you know, it was in a menacing black carbon, black spec with tan interior, and it does look like what Batman, Darth Vader, some awful person would drive yeah. uh, at very, very high speed. Although, as a photographer yourself, Rowan, black cars? Yeah, so yeah, the, 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 yeah, yeah, to do a cover image of a black clear carbon car is the worst nightmare that you can possibly have. Um, Reflections. And, ref- yeah, yeah. And, and all the other joys that come with with trying to light it. But that was someone else's problem on this day, so I was absolutely <laughs> fine. But we were very much against time to try and get what we needed because we were doing a full cover story, a full video for YouTube, mm-hmm. and you had to do it all while... Yeah, <laughs> I, I just tried and picked up the pieces if anything went wrong. Absolutely, um, and uh, so the so the first things is we we headed out onto the autobahn. Um, now, anyone that's ever driven on the autobahn, it is fantastic fun. It feels like it should be illegal, but somehow it's not. Uh, and obviously. I am literally behind the wheel of the world's fastest car. So a version a version of the Shield Supersport did 304 miles an hour. This one is restricted to 273. That's to do with tyres and tyre preservation, life preservation, basically. So you did 273 miles an hour, right? Oh, nearly. I tried. Uh, basically. So I had um, Andy Wallace in the passenger seat um, next to me. I'll be up front. That was an insurance stipulation, not just for me, for for everyone. Um, And rather than him being there, you know, telling me to back off, he was egging me on. He was the one that was going, come on, uh, ooh, 220, that's got a nice ring to it, hasn't it, Jack? So, um, And you're basically there, poised in the outside lane, cruising along at about 120 miles an hour, and it's ridiculous. At that speed, the car is so in its comfort zone. It feels like you're doing, you know, 50, 60 miles an hour and anything else. And then the sort of seas part, the lane opens up and you just got to gun it. And uh, honestly, I couldn't look down at the speedo because you're so laser focused on the horizon if any other car's going to pull over or anything's going to get in your way. Um, so I just had to keep my foot in. And it's only afterwards that you look at the dash and there's a big row of um, switches, like toggles down the middle of the dash that have little screens on the top of them. And on top of each one, it's the amount of power you manage to deploy, the revs that you hit and the highest speed that you hit. So I look across and we've done, we've managed to deploy the full 1600 horsepower. I can't remember how many revs and 211 miles an hour, which I was pretty pleased with. Not good enough in my opinion. But <laughs> it, it, Would you rather I hit 220 and killed myself? We went out, we'd it go out with a bag. It would have yeah, been a glorious end, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's good for the tombstone. Yeah, if you did that. <laughs> we, we, could, we could get the dials um, etched into that if you wanted he to. He died doing what he loved. Um, but even I was uh, in a Q3 hire car, and the, the Autobahn is honestly one of the best. It is not to be used for that. It isn't a you know public roller coaster, but there is an exhilaration to be had driving at speed, which, as you say, does feel yep. illegal, even though it's not, especially coming out of COVID where we've been stuck in a box. It does get the adrenaline going. Yep. And seeing this Bugatti fly by, 
the wash that comes off it, the noise. There's a great shot in the film, isn't it? Where Because actually filming a car going quickly on the autobahn is next to impossible. You can basically sit in the middle lane and wait for it to blast past on the outside. Great shot in the video where you, you almost feel the shock wave and the noise of it straight past. It is pushing a lot of air out the way at, yeah. at, that, at that point. But yeah. uh, we did have a date with the Nürburgring and to get there in time mid-winter before it gets dark and mm -hmm. with weather was a bit of a push. So th thankfully the autobahn was there, otherwise we wouldn't be able to make the distance up in the time. Yeah, and thankfully it was dry. So the weather played ball on the autobahn and then we start closing in on the Nürburgring and as you know, it's up in the Eiffel Mountains and literally five kilometres out, the rain starts. Well, it started and it started, you know, it was a good showing straight away. It yeah. was bucketing it down. It was bucketing it down, yeah, yeah. So we turn up. Um, at the car park near the near the gate. Um, just a word on the supercar spotters. They were quite interesting, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. All came out to see us. Um, there was one bloke who literally attached himself to us for about three hours, just wouldn't leave us alone. We were just like, you've got a few pictures. Could you maybe just give us a bit of space? But look, I, I don't think people are used to seeing a £2.7 million car brought to a tourist session in the bucketing rain, um, and so they were quite fascinated by what we were thinking. But the fact that he thought he could get in the car to do interior shots and details, the job that our photographer was being paid <laughs> to do, to stop him getting out of the way, that's not on, that wasn't on. But yeah, I like the enthusiasm that they have. Yeah, exactly. And um, so so that, so then we got to the point, um, again, Andy is in the passenger seat, always in the passenger seat, where... Uh, it was time to go through the barrier and head out onto the track. Um, and actually, before before we talk about it, why don't we just get Andy on the line? Because I haven't really had the sort of debrief from what happened next. So should we see if we can get Andy on the line? Yeah, let's do that. He's, he's, he's the man who knows fast better than anyone else. Okay, so Andy Wallace, in case you didn't know, is one of the very fastest men in the world. He's a Le Mans winner. He did the top speed runs in the McLaren F1 and in the Bugatti Chiron Supersport, and he's with us here. Andy, how are you? Great, thanks. Good morning. Morning, morning, nice morning. Thanks you. for doing this. <laughs> and um, more importantly, thank you for sitting next to me on that day when we had our day out in the in the Supersport. Um Let's dive straight in. How would you describe the conditions when we got to the Nürburgring? I don't think you could have been any worse, <laughs> to be honest. There's a lot of standing water. There's a lot of people getting soaking wet. Um, it, it's crazy. And as you know, with Nürburgring, the conditions on the way round, they change. Yeah. So you arrive at a corner going a million miles an hour, and then you realise, oh, it's even more wet now. And it was a tourist session, so you've got the um, various speeds of the traffic around you. Yeah. Well, you haven't. That guy in that BMW now, he's probably uh, had so many free points in the pub over that one. Yeah, because a Bugatti against a, you know, a 318 compact yeah. is an impressive, is a, is a battle that's well known across the world <laughs> of the great motoring duels. But Andy, seeing your face when you came back in the lap, how was Jack's driving? And was it down to the conditions or was it just down to his ability behind the wheel? <laughs> well, it's not the first time I've sat next to Jack and he's, he is a brilliant driver. Of course, of course he is. But the conditions, I mean, they were horrendous. I, I At the end of that lap, I thought to myself, I think I said it too, how are you going to make something out of that video? Because most of it was me pretty much having a fit. Yeah, there was. I think that the, the thing that stood out was you, you reminded me three times that 
Just watch out for the standing water, Jack, because it, you don't have to be going fast. It will just pick up the wheel and it will spin us around and you'll be in the barrier before you know it. And I was like, I, I know, Andy, but we're halfway around the Nürburgring. We can't turn around and go back the other way. And you, it was, um, <laughs> but the thing is, I started off the lap with kind of a false confidence. I didn't really realize uh, how severe the conditions were out there. So I sort of set off. I had it in, um, is it track mode? That loosens the ESC a bit. Yeah, we had it in the. Yeah. yeah that's now, right. what was interesting? So, first couple of corners, it's just it's all over the place. The car. I'm still trying to smile and and talk to the camera, but you just leaned over rather than saying Jack. Put that back. You just <laughs> leant over and went autobahn mode. So anyway, as you said, I love it. It's such a pro. Didn't even ask. Just put the traction <laughs> control back on. Um, but just to make everyone aware, it was on Cup 2R tyres, which are well known for their ability to get rid of water and for wet conditions, aren't they, Andy? <laughs> well, you know, and I've done quite a lot of running on, on that standard shear on tyre and the Cup 2R. And actually, you need about 10 degrees more uh, in, in the Cup 2Rs to make them work uh, in the rain and in the dry. So, so then you go to Nürburgring, it's pouring with rain, and it's actually quite cold. You're really asking a lot. But also, you didn't know the way around the Nürburgring either, really. That, well, that's right, because I was doing the DTM in 94, and that was a race on the calendar. And, of course, that then Imola happened with Seller, uh, Senna, and Ratzenberger, and they cancelled the race and put it on the short track. So I never actually got to race there in, in the day. Oh, so the, the, the perfect partner for, for holding my hand around this, this scary lap of the Nürburgring. Um, but, but, Andy, like, for our audience, can you just explain what your job is uh, for Bugatti? Because it is probably quite different to what people would expect. Well, on that particular day, it was trying to get that lovely Chiron Supersport back to the paddock without having some stripes down the side of it. <laughs> but it's quite varied. It can be it can be some development driving for for the cars. It can be uh, media drives, as we did. Um, uh, quite a lot of customer drives too, and um, sometimes just just giving rides to to VIPs or, or explaining to a customer just exactly what you need to know about the car to get the best from it. And, uh, yeah, because it's a very, very powerful machine and it can be quite intimidating the first time you sit in it. So it, it's, I try to make people feel quite calm and at home in the car. I don't know if I, that worked actually, Jack. <laughs> well, uh, I did feel quite calm actually to begin with. You, you definitely kept your cool, but, uh, watching back the footage, I could see a slight bit of tension in your face, but yeah. you, you managed to hide it very well. Yeah. You see, the thing is that I know, and it's not possible to know if you just jump in the car for the first time is when it's gone, it is literally mm. gone mm. in a heartbeat. And that's actually the same with the race car too, um, in, in, in those conditions. So and I think the grip level's pretty reasonable. And then of course there's a cutoff. And when you reach the cutoff, the more grip you've had before the cutoff, the worse it is. Well, that's so. And, yeah, and 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 you know, just talking about, talking about losing grip levels and going back to that red BMW we spoke about earlier. So we were chasing it round, um, literally chasing round a diesel BMW 3 Series compact. I couldn't get past it. Um, no, but you didn't let him get away though. That was a bit. I <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. I wasn't going to let him get away. I did actually get past him eventually. It took took about twenty five corners for me to get the best of him, despite having sixteen hundred horsepower. But anyway, our photographer Dennis Noten he sent me a picture um, a, a couple of weeks ago of that same car crashed in bits. So so oh. yeah, he'd obviously gained some false confidence by keeping a sheer on Supersport honest and put it in the barrier so you know yeah. poor him well, 
No, do you know what? I, I honestly, I felt I felt a bit sorry for you because on the way up, we we had a lovely drive mm. and we were really exploring the car. And then as soon as we get to the Nurburgring, which is where we can really explore the car, the conditions were horrible, yeah. and you're thrown into it, and we've only got a short amount of time. And, you, and you've got to. Do and do it. you remember what you said to me? So we came to the end of my lap, and I said, "Right, this is the point, Andy, where we swap seats, and and you drive a lap." And uh, you just turned to me and said. No chance. Mm. <laughs> I was in the pits. I had. I gave birth to a stress baby as I saw the <laughs> as I saw, I saw the Chiron leave, and I was like, "Please come back, please come back." So when I saw it at the end of the Dossing Home, because you could see from the the LED lights, there aren't too many Chirons or, or, or doing a tourist lap at you know six o'clock at night during the winter. So I was like, "Ah, oh, they brought it back." And then I saw your face, and I was like, "Andy, do you want to do a lap?" And you're a bit concerned to do it then, but you know, I'm not sure that starts your job. How much hair you had on your head, anyway? But being a passenger for celebrities, VIPs, Jack Ricks, have you lost it all through scary experiences of uh, people? You must have had some interesting people in the passenger seat or the driver's seat next to you. Uh, yeah, and the thing is, you never know. I mean, of course, with Jack, we've driven on many occasions, and and and, and actually, to be fair, if you're especially if you're working in the UK uh, in this business. You won't be in your job unless you know what you're doing behind the wheel. So, so you never, you know, you're never going to get something crazy happen. But having said that, um, quite often with other people, um, you're really not sure what you're going to get, and and it can be quite okay for a kilometre or two, and then if you relax your guard, that's when it happens. So I've learned that over the eleven years or so I've been at Bugatti. So I, I tend to, I, I tend to have my guard up all the time now. No hair-raising stories that stand out then from any celebrity or owners that have sort of floored it out the factory gates? Uh, There's a few. I'm not sure. I'm just worried about um, the repercussions if I spill the beans. But um, do you know, the thing is, the car is so good and so stable and so amazing that you can be, in some ways, lulled into a false sense of security. Mm. But the danger's out there and it's lurking. I mean, we're only really talking about conditions like Nürburgring. I mean, on a dry road, nothing's yeah, going to happen yeah, yeah. to you at all. But you need to know that. And in fact, my from my racing background, the same was true, say, in, in Le Mans, for example. It's wet, you're barreling down the straight, and then you come to an area where there's a lots of water, standing water. Exactly the same thing would happen to you, even with all that downforce. So it's kind of ingrained from me since the 80s what what can happen and i think that's quite useful to have in the back of your mind even if you don't use it on a daily basis it's there and speaking of um high speed and high danger so obviously famously you drove the mclaren f1 uh when it did its record smashing 240 mile an hour run and then more recently 304 miles an hour in the shoe on Supersport. plus the xj220 don't don't you of know course. discredit that from oh, yeah. seat. plus a million other mad things that andy's done <laughs> i'm just trying to try to keep it compact um how, just how did the mclaren f1 and and the shoe on Supersport runs compare obviously um you know there's 64 miles an hour difference in them but was one more hair raising than the other See, at the time, again, I was a lot younger um, with the McLaren. And yes, the 64 miles an hour makes a huge difference. So it was fast, I remember. um, And it was moving around as well, because obviously I had significantly less horsepower and therefore it needed less drag to reach those speeds. So it was pretty light on downforce. And it starts moving around, but it, it never got to the point where it was swapping lanes. You know, then fast forward to 2019, I mean, 64 miles an hour doesn't sound like much, does it? But if you add it already to the 240, <laughs> you were going, it's massive. It really is. So it, it, it gets your attention. And 
I always think when you when you're driving a car, any of us when we're driving a car at whatever speed it is, if the controls actually give you the feeling that you're expecting when you move the steering wheel, everything feels fine. It's the moment that there's a disconnect between what you're doing and what you feel coming back. And at that point, you go, oh, dear, right, I'm not driving this car anymore. You reach that point on the way to 304.7724, I can promise you. <laughs> and Andy, the best thing about being around you is your Chiron and Bugatti facts. So just to wrap up, either from the top speed run or just general facts, what is your favorite Chiron, Chiron Supersport, general Bugatti fact? Because you're an absolute encyclopedia of them. Right. Well, I've got probably one. I don't know if I bored you with this before, but um, as a kid with a spinning top, you know, you pick up the spinning top and it's off all over the place, wherever it wants to go. And in fact, that's what happens to the front wheels when you exceed about 280 miles an hour. They're spinning around so fast that they overcome the, the suspension geometry on the front. So the caster angle that's completely negated at over 280 miles an hour. So the front wheels, both of them, are giant gyroscopes, and they're off where they want to go, Irrisp- irrespective of aerodynamics uh, and anything else that's going on. Um, and so and is that the, is that the you, vagary you're feeling through the steering wheel that you just mentioned when it starts going, well, wants to go left? Well, the, basically what's happening is that, let's say, because there is quite a crosswind usually on this track, so and there's a couple of um, wind socks, and you can see one coming, so you know it's going to blow to the left. So as you go blowing to the left at that speed, you put a little bit of input on the steering wheel to go right, just a tiny little bit, and it goes right, but then it doesn't, it, it keeps going. Mm-hmm. So if you're not careful now, you're, you're too far in towards that lane, and then you need another input to come back, and another, and another, and another, and so on, and the faster you go, the worse that gets. So the only way to solve that problem is to put a lighter wheel on the front, yeah. uh, and then and then that problem would would occur, but at a higher speed. But if you're going to do a record run, you really need it to be exactly the wheel you're using on the on the road car, so you can't do those tricks. Yeah. But I mean, that's what you know. That's generally what happens. So so the feeling through the steering becomes quite odd. The other thing, if you've got time, is that um, even though it's an electromechanical steering, there is a torsion bar down the steering column. So in the standard car, the faster you go, and there are points where the map changes, but the faster you go, the less assist you want, of course. You want the car to be very stable mm-hmm. at, uh, about the head. But it gets to the point uh, over 280 miles an hour where you don't want any assist. So you can turn or you turn the electric assist completely off. But what that then means is you're still twisting this torsion bar inside the steering column, and there becomes a little bit of slop, if you like, right. And usually that's taken up by the assist. But because the assist is now off, you fill that slot. So not only have you got these two giant gyroscopes moving the car about, you've also got a piece in the middle of the steering, which is not giving you yeah. anything. If like, So, of course, you slow down to, I don't know, 260 miles yeah. an hour, and there's no problem at all. So it's just, it, it, obviously, these things get worse exponentially, don't this they? Is the speed, top but... gear, this is Top Gear bringing you that invaluable consumer information isn't it so when you find yourself above 280 miles an hour and there's just a fraction of slop in the steering you'll go i know what this is i heard it on the top gear magazine podcast <laughs> yeah you didn't feel that at 212 did you because you won't go fast D- enough no i was i was just pootling along yeah. it was 211 thank you for the extra oh yeah an hour. sorry really sorry, sorry. i was rounding up yeah. um but uh, andy we'll have to leave it there thank you so much for coming on for any trauma that i caused with my uh, terrible driving on the nurburgring i apologize but um Thank you. Thank you for giving us your time today and and telling us 
uh, giving us a, a, a lesson, really, in, in how a car works at stupid speeds. I think I may get you a trophy to put on that cabinet of uh, surviving a, a driver, Jack Rick. So, yeah, congratulations on that. No, that sounds good to me. But no, but listen, because that's making it too negative towards Jack's driving. <laughs> it was brilliant driving. Hence, there's no stripes down the side of the car. No, and it was an absolute pleasure as always. And it's great to talk to you. No, guys. Thanks, to you, Andy. Andy. Yeah. Checks in the post. Cheers. <laughs> if only. <laughs> Andy Wallace, then, a hero among men. Um, but we must move on because it's time to actually challenge our brains uh, with a little quiz. Do you fancy that? Yeah, it's not hard to challenge my brain. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> Breathing, that's, that's tough as it that's is. But let's, let's really ramp it up. Okay, so this is the Top Gear Top 9. Uh, it's based around listicles that we've got in the mag, we've got online every week. Uh, the idea is that we get three guesses each to guess the cars or the items or the things that are on the list. It's a head-to-head. We will be taking scores. But in order to do this, we're going to need... A ringmaster. Mm. He's the man who, if you watch the YouTube channel, has one T-shirt or one shirt, and it's a you know can- Canadian tuxedo, the double denim king. I of, think of, uh, of both of both denim and car knowledge. I think he's trying to get the continuity, but it's got the wrong end of the stick. You you are allowed to wear different clothes Do each you week. Mind? When your grandmother buys you a shirt as nice as this, you're going to want to wear it on camera as much as possible as well. Nice to be here, Yeah, good to see you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so, what's up this week? Okay. I get really annoyed by cars overusing letters like R and RS in their name all the time. But the one that really gets me is GT. Too many cars have GT in their name. And as we know, GT stands for Grand Touring. I want top nine cars called GT that are not Grand Tourers. I'll go first. Um, Ford GT. Yep. He's (laughs) off to a flyer straight away. Of course. I mean, yeah, uh, the most recent one was a V6 twin-turbo mid-engined Le Mans racing car that they barely rode legalised. Yeah, yeah. You would not be popping down to the south of France in it. I mean, you could. You could, but you'd, you'd have to get there deaf and mad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the 4GT is, yeah, strange that it's got that name. It's not a Grand Tourer. Phenomenal car, though. One point to Jack. Rowan? Well, I'm going to bring up a contentious one anyway within my own head. So let's have an argument. Is the McLaren GT... Because McLaren has tried to make it a GT by the fact that you can put some golf clubs in the back and it's got a bit more space. But, you know, if you've ever been near or seen one, it's a supercar with a boot. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was the car that inspired this list, really. I kind of forgot it existed and then I saw one on the street and thought, good Lord, someone's bought a McLaren GT. A carbon tub, a mid-engined twin-turbo V8, 600 horsepower, 200 miles an hour, but because it's got a smattering of leather and you can block the rear window with a gym bag... They say it's a Bentley Continental rival. It absolutely is not. And they're taking a couple of clicks off the dampers, I imagine. Yeah. And it's it's a lovely car to drive. I've had the pleasure of it, but I would not want to post myself into it and head for the continent. Classic McLaren, isn't it? Using that recipe that they've got. They've got the tub, they've got the engine, they've got the electronics, and just going, hmm, how else can we fiddle this formula? Uh, Yeah. So there we go. The McLaren GT is not a GT, Jack. Any more for any more? Any more for any more? Well, I better because I've only had one guess. So I'll <laughs> I'll go in again because Rowan, if you keep leaving these on the table, I'm going to keep snaffling them up. Carrera GT. Oh. The Porsche Carrera GT had a 5.7 liter V10 from a Le Mans racing car mm-hmm. that was cancelled. A manual gearbox and some famously pretty interesting handling on the limit. 
It's not a GT car. No. It's absolutely a correct answer. Point to Jack. But I think it wears the fraudulent badging the best. Oh, a it, Carrera GT. It's is a, one of it, the coolest cars ever made, hands down. They could have stuck any number of letters on the back of it and it still would have looked cool. But. And I'm sure you can get a fitted luggage set for it, for that boot that can also swallow the roof panels. Mm-hmm. I bet you could, yeah, go and have a lovely time in the mountains in it. But yeah, back in period, before they sorted out the tyres, um, you maybe wouldn't have wanted to chance your arm having a, uh, a long continental cruise in one. But one from the same stable, which I don't think wears it so well, is the new KN GT. Which technically is a GT, because I guess you could do mid but that's not a GT. It's not a is Grand Tour. Is this your second guess? Yeah. So the KN, is it the GT Turbo? I know the curry means. The Cayenne Turbo GT is awesome. its actual name. Turbo GT. Sorry. It has GT in the name. I've not put it on the list, but it is a good guess. I I know what you mean. Come on, that, that car is a is, GT car. That oh, car is... Uh, we're going to drive to the south of France in my, you know, in my massively powerful Porsche SUV. Yeah, that's going to be actually... Perfect for the job. Very mm. comfortable, very fast. It's a phenomenal a GT bit of kit. car. I did drive it last year and it, it felt like it would do a wheelie in a straight line. It's <laughs> absolutely crackers. Um, I'm afraid I forgot it existed when coming up with this top nine. <laughs> so it's a good answer, but it's not right. Well, I don't, sorry, I've got my GT in the wrong place within the naming, yeah. but it is there. I've seen it on the boot of the car. Which means that it's real, but yeah. It's apparently, it's a Put it on the list next time, yeah. It's, it's endorsed, apparently, by Porsche's GT department. The guys who make the GT2s and the GT3s, they apparently say this has our blessing, but it's not actually... No, they don't. Their, their marketing factory. department said yeah, that. Yeah, no, yeah, they've, yeah. They've, they've, they've been nowhere. Yeah, I, 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 pointing, at, pointing at sort of waved at it. I couldn't possibly it. comment. Yeah. Anyway, so, all right, I've screwed that one up. Over to you, Jack. Okay. Jack, your third um, and final guess. You're in the we, uh, As I'm learning with these quizzes, it's the third guess that's the hardest because you sort of you've re- uh, really dried up the, the easy ones. Um, a couple of options and both of them feel like long shots. So, uh, I, uh, I'm going to go with the Golf GT, which is a bit of an oddball. It's... It's a car they produced a few years ago that had that twin... Do you remember that? It was supercharged and turbocharged 1.4 engine. I think it was sort of slotting below the GTI, but had some sporty pretensions. Definitely not a Grand Tour. That's my answer. Lock it in. I remember it well. I mean, are we doing half points? Ryan's going to shake his head. No. It's yeah, not on the list, but the Volkswagen Polo Blue GT oh, is... The same engine. An even more obscure Volkswagen. I'll be very surprised if anyone listening remembers this. This was a Polo that then had the twin charge engine in it. So it was kind of below the Polo GTI, which in itself mm. is already below the Golf GTI. And it was this thing that, hey, you've just passed your test. This is 20 quid a year in road tax, but it's also got the limited slip diff out of the GTI. The blue is confusing because blue was kind of Volkswagen's eco. Blue motion. Blue motion. Yeah, it was yeah. the eco stuff. So this was them kind of trying to fuse those two elements and royally failing because I've never seen one since. But um, I'm afraid I can't give you a point for that, Jack. You are marooned on two, which means that Jack can be caught. Rowan, you can tie the game here. Whoa, you've got me thinking now. Hot. Well, a hatchback. You're talking about blue a lot. What about the Twingo GT? I'm going to get really in trouble here. You weren't thinking, happy to guess the Mercedes AMG Is it not on the list? The Twingo GT's not on the list? (laughs) Oh, God. The Kia C GT, not the Toyota GT. No, the... uh, the t- what was your guess? The Twingo GT. The Twingo GT, GT which Remind isn't a GT. Remind me what a Twingo GT is. It was, the, it was the, the, the hotty, not the super hot Renault Sport version, but oh, a hot... Oh, yes, like... and the rear-wheel drive, and it had the world's most angry traction control. If you looked at the throttle pedal, it just killed all the power. Exactly. In yes. a crosswind, you couldn't even drive it because it thought it would turn around. Um, it's but a fun- really good guess. Yeah, yeah, but fundamentally, we're discussing cars with GT in the name, which aren't GTs, which I believe this one is as a rear Yeah, if it was, a, if it was a top 11... 
You would have won today. But unfortunately, <laughs> fortunately it's not. This so you have nine does not contain. So we've it. drawn on trip two. No, true. I've won two one. That's an incorrect answer. Oh two, no! Disaster. <laughs> oh, Do we have VAR? Sound a bit Can like we a no, no, no. decision. We, we've got to stop. No, this is no, no we're, good. we're not going to go any further. We're just going to pause there. That's fantastic. I've won that fair and square, Rowan. Unlucky. So, so, well, so, listeners, you can uh, you can see that there is a very contentious issue. So, if you want to see the actual top nine, head over to topgear.com or check out the new magazine. Yeah, and you can see the comments. Yes, and then yeah, you can argue with our um, Canadian tuxedo man <laughs> Ollie Q as well. Um, and we'll see you more next time. Thanks, Cheers, Ollie. Thanks, mate. Okay, that's probably more than enough for today i'd say but before we go remember to check out topgear.com for rolling car news reviews and anything else we can dig up from the sludge at the bottom of the internet but also well, this the sludge well if you want some proper sludge you can see our bugatti video that we were talking <laughs> about endlessly uh with andy wallace and uh, jack on the autobahn and the nurburgring that's on our youtube channel and we've got everything on twitter facebook instagram Go subscribe to all our channels for all the latest in the Top Gear universe. Yeah, if you're feeling flush, you can even buy yourself a copy of the magazine. Mm, Analogue internet, that is, yeah. yeah, Fancy that. Um, All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. See you next time. See ya.